knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, if you're interested in upping your mobile game, then head to tetherednation.com and check out their saddle gear. There are a few things you can actually buy that will help you become a better deer hunter or give you the freedom to hunt any tree or any situation. This is the reason why I started saddle hunting in the first place and why I use Tethered's gear. I can honestly say that Tethered's saddle gear has changed how I hunt for the better. Big tree, little tree, from the ground, it doesn't matter. I'm untethered by my gear to hunt the best setup for the situation, instead of hunting for a tree that my gear can use. My current core setup consists of the Phantom Saddle, Tethered One Sticks, and the Predator Platform, along with an assortment of their accessories. So if you want to up your mobile game, head over to tetherednation.com. If you're like me, you spend lots of time poring over maps, looking at weather data, all in an effort to help predict when and where my best times to hunt will be. It'd be nice if there was a reliable source with all this information in one place. Enter the Spartan Forge app. Unlike some other predictive apps on the market, Spartan Forge was created from military combat intelligence experience tailored for hunters and stands at the nexus of machine learning and white-tailed deer hunting. No more man-made algorithms. This is a predictive model based on real GPS collared deer data, historical and predictive weather, and the next level of mapping imagery, all at my fingertips. I've been using the iOS app this season, and it has replaced all my other mapping tools. Visit SpartanForge.ai and sign up today, or head to your iOS or Android app store. Use the promo code TRUTH to save some money and download it today. Welcome to the Truth From A Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 275. Today, I'm joined by my buddy, Chris Derrick, to catch up on some Montana whitetails and chasing Osceola turkeys. So stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. It is hard to believe that it is just a couple days away from from being April. I'm not going to complain about it, man, because I am ready for some decent weather. We've had some teasers here and there over the past couple weeks where we've had some mid-60s days. We've had some, you know... Um, Days that touched the 70s, which actually, truth be told, that was probably just a little warmer than I wanted quite yet. I don't want to, I don't want to skip spring into summer. I want to kind of enjoy spring those, like 50 degree mornings and you know where it gets into like the 60s. It's something that kind of almost mimics fall to a degree. To be honest with you, that's kind of like the, uh, I mean, I think it's the weather we all like. So anything that kind of reminds me of that is what I, um, is what I dig. So I'm hoping that we get a little bit of the lead in into summer as opposed to last year, which felt like a couple nice days. And then 
bam, summer. Got your heat, got your humidity, got your nasty, buggy, kind of crappy weather. I shouldn't say crappy, but um, not my favorite weather. We'll, we'll put it we'll put it that way. So, uh, just about done scouting locally here. Uh, have one last chunk I need to kind of check out, and um, then I'll kind of put a pin in it for the year around here. Have a lot of my cameras up. I have a few that I still need to get out in a couple places, but I have a few uh, cameras kind of hanging in some areas that were <clears throat> that were brand new to me, at least locally. Uh, well, I shouldn't say brand new to me. I was aware of them. I had maybe walked through them previously, just hadn't had the time to put in to those particular areas to, you know, find a place to hang a camera or, you know, to kind of suss it out even further to see if it's something I was even remotely interested in. So I did a lot of that this off season was a lot of just kind of going to some new areas, went back through some previous areas, you know, to kind of check out where the sign was from last year, making sure everything was kind of, you know, or I guess similar to what I had had expected or what I had come to understand from previous year's scouting. And then really this, this year locally kind of focused on, you know, can I find a couple new spots? And I think out of all the walking that I've done, I want to say maybe, maybe two, maybe two spots locally, uh, that are, that are new that I think might produce. Well, I shouldn't say that maybe three. Um, because one is relatively close to an area that I already hunt, but it's just kind of, I'm, I'm better figuring out kind of how the deer are using this, this particular piece, um, which gave me another, an additional, an additional setup. So it's not like it's completely, uh, you know, separate from, from another area, but there's one other spot that I want to check out, uh, that's been on my list actually the past two years. I just haven't made it to it. Uh, so I'm going to plan to do that. And there might be one other area, um, that I'll, that I'll, that I'll dive into. I'm kind of on the fence. It might honestly be just kind of a, a flyer hunt early part of the season. Um, cause I think it could, if it's going to be good, I think it'll be good during the early part of the year, but I would like to take a quick walk through, um, that particular piece. We'll see if that, uh, we'll see if that plays out or not. And then of course I still need to get to the, to my Northern area, which the weather just seems to be keeping me, uh, held back to a degree, but hopefully that'll, that'll happen here in the not so distant future. What I am stoked about though, is, uh, I think I mentioned it previously is I'm going to be doing a Turkey hunt in that, uh, area this year and actually take some time off. I, I mean, you guys know me pretty well by this point. I'm not, I'm diehard whitetail hunter. Turkey hunting is just one of those things I do to pass some time, get out in the woods, maybe catch a deer scout while I'm out taking my gun for a walk. This year is a little bit different where I'm actually pretty jazzed. And this is kind of a nice little lead into, into today's podcast, but I'm pretty stoked to actually do some turkey hunting this year. Cause usually, like I said, if I do anything, um, or what I typically will do is go back home, spend some time with my in-laws and, and, uh, with my father-in-law specifically and some of his buddies down at, down at our, our hunting camp. And, uh, <clears throat> a lot of, a lot of beer drinking and card playing and stuff like that. And be honest with you, it makes for a rough, a rough turkey morning. Um, and so by, you know, with that, I'm, I'm usually like, if I get out and chase some birds, great. If not, it was really more the intention of going back and hanging out with all the, uh, all the old timers and spending some time with them. Um, so Turkey hunting really kind of is, isn't the priority on that trip, but this year I'm doing something a little bit different. I'm actually headed to the spot that I planned to, that I scouted last year for deer and I'm planning to hunt more often this year for deer and, and do some Turkey hunting there. So I'll be chasing mountain birds, which will be, uh, which will be super cool. And I typically never take any time off to Turkey hunt. I'm actually taking a couple days off at the opener, uh, to do some hunting, to get after some mountain birds. I think, um, my buddy, Aaron, Aaron Hepler, I think will be with me. Tom will be with, uh, Tom, I think will be with us. And then, Oh, my old buddy road dog, Chad Sylvester may end up making the uh, road trip from Ohio, joining up with us to do some Turkey hunting and a little bit of deer scouting. But 
All that to say, a, a little bit of a lead-in or foreshadowing for today's podcast. I have my buddy uh, Chris Derrick on. He is the Whitetail Product Line Manager for Sitka Gear. Um, so you'll you probably heard his voice from time to time hop on the podcast with me to talk about you know different pieces of gear that they have coming out and stuff like that. And this year, they actually launched. Um, the one thing that I was super stoked about was actually a turkey vest because I you know I'm one of those guys. I don't know if. Uh, it's just, I'm, I'm lazy about it or what, but I would typically just jam all my stuff in my pockets, which actually made it for kind of a miserable hike. If you're doing any type of, you know, running and gunning after birds, you got shit in your pockets that are flopping around and it's uncomfortable. And, you know, I've lost plenty of stuff that way or broke, you know, a slate call or whatever it is, um, by sitting on it and, and just, you know, not taking care of my gear essentially. And so they have a Turkey vest they put out this year, which is super cool, super sleek. We'll go over that and talk about all the ins and outs of that. But the thing that Chris is super passionate about and that I was really stoked about was actually their Equinox guard gear that they're actually putting out. And it's under the, you know, the umbrella of their turkey gear. And it's tick repellent, mosquito repellent. Like, it's just a really cool garment. And I immediately went to my whitetail mindset and was like, this is perfect for me for hunting in and around swamps or water where you're going to get mosquitoey and buggy and shitty that early part of whitetail season. And also makes obviously phenomenal turkey hunting gear. Um, so we talk a lot about the gear that they have coming out. We catch up with Chris a little bit on his Montana hunt. He killed a killer buck in Montana this year, and he just got done getting after some Osceola's in Florida. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's podcast. But before I do that, I want to make a quick mention that our buddies over at Exodus still have that opportunity going just to the end of this month. So the end of March, um, first time ever that you can actually trade in your current, uh, your current Exodus camera and get a, uh, and get some money toward a, a, a new one. So first time ever, they're offering a trade in program for the remainder of March to get involved. You need to have a current Exodus camera registered in their database. You can trade in any lift, lift two or Trek and lock in a hundred dollar savings off the render or render bundle. If you like the idea of trading up and who wouldn't, here's what you'll need to do. Go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Use the promo code trade up. That's T R A D E U P at checkout to lock in your hundred dollar savings after that or after the order, the Exodus team will email you a shipping label with the order number for reference to your email, print the return label, put it on a box, put your camera in a box, send it back to Exodus. And when they get the camera, they will ship you your order. If that was a lot to care, a lot to follow, you can head over to the exodusoutdoorgear.com and check out the information on their website, or you can uh, check out the show notes. I'll have a link in the show notes that will direct you to the correct place to get all the information. So with that, we're going to go ahead and jump into today's podcast. And as always, I want to thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today we are going to talk a little bit of gear. And uh, we always take a little departure from from whitetails around this time of year to talk a little bit of the springs or the kings of springs uh, and uh, a little bit of gobbler thunder. And I'm joined by my buddy, Mr. Chris Derrick from Sitka Gear. How's it going, Chris? Going very well. Thanks for having me on. You bet, man. It seems like every so often we always have to have a touch base because you guys are always coming out with something new and I'm always kind of intrigued by it and I want to check it out. And so <laughs> so this was this was no different. You guys have some really cool stuff uh, going on in terms of, you know, the, the, the turkey gear that you guys are, are developing. But before we jump into all that. I always have to ask, because the last time we talked, I kind of got a rundown of what was going on at the Derrick Ranch, where you have alpacas, you have bees, you've got all kinds of things going on out there. Anything added to the to the ranch at this point, or, or are you at status quo now? Uh, well, actually, we, we shedded, uh, I would say. So, um, yeah, one thing about alpacas is I think they're like a chicken dinner. Everybody likes them. So from a 
from a, a wolf standpoint. So uh, we did offload the alpacas and we just, uh, we board some horses out here now, but uh, yeah, kind of slowed things some back. So get an older house built in 1890. You have a lot to work on. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, man. I bet, I bet the 1890, man, I bet the honey do list is, is never ending on that. Yeah. Ne- there's never ending a host of problems, but it's a, it's a fun house. So, right. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. My house was not built in the 1890s and I seen there seems to always be an issue and truth be told, I just remodeled my entire basement and that was based on a, just kind of like a, a normal issue that would come up with like a basement and had to have a sump pump put in. So they had to rip out like half a wall, part of the floor. And so then it just became like, well, I was going to redo the basement and I was hoping to have to do it in maybe five years, uh, but it looks like it got expedited to uh, right now. And I just finished that up, I don't know, right after the right after the first of the year. But it's pretty sweet, man. I'll just send you some pictures. It's a uh, it is a bourbon bar basement in, in cigar bar. So I've got like a smoking fan in the wall where I can have like a cigar and a, and, a, and, a, and a good glass of bourbon and a big screen TV and watch, you know, football games or wrestling or whatever it is that I want to watch full on man cave with my mounts and stuff like that. So I'm pretty stoked about it. So it was, it was a happy kind of uh, turn of events, but I did a lot of the work myself and it was a pain in the ass. It's a, it's a long drive, but I'm coming over. Yeah. So <laughs> nice. It is a long drive, man. I want to say, uh, I don't know exactly where you're at. I'm guessing Bozeman, right? Is where you're at? Yeah. In Bozeman. So yeah, that yeah. would be a, a couple of day drive for a drink. So yeah, it would. Um, I'd have to break out the top shelf stuff for you for that drive, man. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took me the last time I came out, I was going South. I was going to Dillon and I think it was a total of 39 hours that drive. Yeah, it, it is. It's a deceivingly a long trip too. So yeah, we did it. We did it. Uh, straight through. Well, there was three of us. So we just took turns driving through the entire trip and like would take turns sleeping and stuff like that. But that was a trip that I don't want to do, but maybe like once a year, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And and I'm sure, you know, like even driving Pennsylvania or even across like New York state, you always feel like it's going to be tiny, Yeah, <laughs> but it's not. It uh, It's like, Oh, it just, this thing keeps going. Yeah, I know. I want to feel, I want to say it felt like and not even felt like, I think we were literally in Montana for eight hours until we got to like, from the time we hit the Montana line until we hit, you know, where we were staying in Dillon. I want to say it was like eight hours. Is that about right? Like to get across the state? It, it, it takes a pretty good, yeah, I would say to get across the, the state, I'm just trying to think of what it takes me to get to like mile city. And that's definitely in the six hour range. So yeah, it, I think you're about right. Yeah. And there's some places where you hit because uh, we were going through some like reservation land and stuff like that where there are like no gas stations and you're looking at your <laughs> you're looking at your uh gas gauge going oh man like i don't know <laughs> you know it's like i don't know when the next gas station is and by the looks of things there's not going to be one anywhere near where we're at right now so it's always absolutely it's always a little touching sweating bullets yeah yeah, yeah. It might For- be like that old seinfeld episode where they're you know yeah far they can make it yeah exactly exactly oh man so man, we'll, we'll we'll transition here to do a little bit of deer, a little bit of deer talk because we always have to do that uh, on this show. But uh, man, I was I was just flipping back through, and I remembered seeing it, you know, this this fall. But I was flipping back through like your Instagram stuff and saw the buck that you killed, and that was in Montana, right? It was. Yep. Uh, uh, it, it wasn't the exact buck I was going for, but uh, uh, definitely uh, wound up um, being a earlier season archery buck so yeah and uh yeah a lot of fun my uh my family each, each one of my family members so i had, had four 
four bucks to do three mule deer and, and my one white tail. So man, yeah, he, he guys had a good seat. And that's a hell of a buck too, man. He's a good look. And that's the funny thing. Like people don't think of when they start thinking of like Western hunting, if they're thinking of Western whitetails, a lot of times they'll, you know, people's, I think minds go to like the, you know, the Dakotas, you know, maybe even Idaho, you know, mountain, mountain bucks or whatever. They, you know, got some, you know, some big whitetails up there, but people kind of sleep on Montana. I feel like in terms of a really, really good whitetail state. And there are some hammer bucks out there and you killed a You killed a dandy, man. That was a, that was a great deer. Yeah. I appreciate it. It was, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the one we had in mind, uh, we had not called him airplane, uh, cause, uh, somebody had spotted him, uh, from an airplane during the summertime and, uh, <laughs> oof. He would have been better, but <laughs> yeah, but, man. Uh, if you're able to uh, see him from that was, the, that was my target, right? If but, you're able to see him from an airplane, man, that's <laughs> I mean, that's that speaks volumes for the caliber of deer that would have been for sure. Well, it was a prop plane, you know. Well, yeah, fairness. yeah, but still, I mean, that's still, you know, it's like you know, there's there's times when uh when I'm driving driving by one that I'm that I'm maybe not quite sure, and I'm not, you know, from an airplane. That's you know peeping one from there it's, if it's catching your eye from that distance and it's got to be a uh a, a worthy animal but how did that hunt uh how did that hunt come together man like so this buck wasn't necessarily the one you were after but no he he wasn't uh i was hunting a, an area um and uh and there's there's basically a place i call the pinch um on the property that uh i hunt um so you just get a lot of trails and it kind of comes up out of a river bottom into you know, a big sage flat that heads out to an alfalfa field. And, and they basically, there's, there's a lot of multiple trails that they cross a river, uh, you know, to get over there, like a finger of a river. And, and that all just typically um, uh, funnels up this, this short little, you know, 15-yard uh, hill. They come up and, and most of the, I had hunted there a couple of different times, um, but I had never actually hunted that spot before. Um, and so when I, when I went in there, I had hunted a few times and, and kept seeing them running up this hill and they would always stop on this one spot just to give you a quick shot. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, uh, when I had moved over there, um, I had pulled in, I had to actually get really close, um, on a really exposed tree. Um, but was able to do it. It, it, it was one of those trees that like, you know, the diameter base height, you know, isn't super big, but then once you also can get up, um, you know, about 15, um, 20 feet in the air, every movement you make, you know, tends to move the whole tree <laughs> right. if you've ever been in that situation. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, he came, he came in, uh, last light, um, and, you know, just ran up, stopped exactly where I started 35 yards and, uh, you know, hit him and it, it was, you know, just perfect. And, uh, so, so it turned out to be just, you know, a nice 10 point, um, uh, uh, you know, that we were looking for, uh, as one of, as one of our target butts. Um, nice. so, yeah, that's awesome, man. So, so did you watch him over the summer and kind of have like some Intel on him or was he kind of a, a surprise in general? No, I had seen him before. Honestly, uh, I, I would have given him another year. But the way that he ran up and stopped, uh, you know, he just, it was very, very quick. Um, and so, uh, you know, it was one of those ones where you just see that. It, I mean, he's still a great deer. Oh, he yeah. just wasn't the exact deer I was uh, looking for at the time. So, but, you know, that happens. Um, but, you know, we get one, we get one buck here right. in Montana. So that, right. you know, 
Um, but really happy to do. And then I was able to focus on getting the rest of my family, uh, deer and everybody else was able to tag out. So that was good. Nice. So you got a, you got a freezer full of venison and all kinds of and, and mule deer and, and all kinds of stuff. So you guys, so the, so the Derek crew is eating, is eating well is what you're saying. Yeah, we, we certainly have a full freezer this year. So, um, yeah, so absolutely. Uh, everybody, my wife, I remember when my wife started hunting, you know, after our children were born a couple of years after that, you know, you, you bring, you bring her out and then, you know, she's like, Oh, I just want to watch the deer, you know? And then now she's as hardcore as I am and I really share my days. Right. She was like, yeah, I bet, I bet you, uh, you wish you hadn't got me started. <laughs> You're sharing, sharing the days in the field. So right, since right. We have to trade off. Well, the, the big question is, is how many hunting spots did you have to give up? That's the big question. Oh, well, they just become one in the same. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's like everything else when you're a dad, there's nothing in the house that you actually own. That's actually yours. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. thing is, yeah, what's mine is mine and what's yours is mine too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What, uh, man, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious, you know, I've never hunted, you know, whitetails in, in Montana. I've only ever hunted, hunted elk out there. Um, but do you, is it a lot of tree stand or, you know, elevated, you know, kind of situation, elevated hunting, or are you hunting a lot from the ground or what do those setups kind of look like? Cause I know I was in Kansas this year and that's as far West I've ever, as I've ever hunted, you know, whitetails. And I know of course, Montana has more trees than Kansas, but I mean, you certainly get into some areas in Montana that are very kind of plainsy, uh, to a degree or, you know, high desert or whatever you want to, however you want to refer to it. And, you know, of course, Kansas for me was like 98% hunting from hunting from the ground. And so I'm just curious, like how much do you go, go back and forth that, and you guys are also dealing with like some, a lot of big ass cottonwoods and stuff like that, that aren't real conducive to, to try to climb in certain situations. Right. Yeah. Uh, as far as the, the setups go, that that's one of the challenges. So I was just talking about that buck with some of the cottonwoods because you'll either find they're so big, they're impossible to do a mobile setup. So they really require a fixed stand and pre-planning. Right. Right. Um, and it just so happened where those deer were crossing up at the pinch, um, only had trees of a certain diameter that allowed you to get close enough for, you know, a, a 35 ish yard shot. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, those, those are one of the, the challenges, definitely uh, lots of cottonwoods, but there's usually quite a few to pick from and they tend to be focused in the, the private lands for the most part. Um, uh, you know, there are some public hunting, um, public land hunting opportunities, but a lot of them private land, um, in river bottoms or, right. you know, uh, so, you know, a lot of people do will hunt with rifle, but from an archery standpoint, you know, a lot of times you'll, you'll be focused, uh, on, you know, on, on cottonwood bottoms for, for the most part, there are some hill bucks, uh, that you can find from a whitetail standpoint. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, but you know, in a lot of other areas, if you did want a ground hunt, could, right. there, you know, there's enough terrain, uh, sometimes to, to allow yourself to make for, for, you know, setting up a stage hunt that way. Um, right. But, uh, spot and stock would be difficult. I would say with an, with a bow. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it was certainly difficult in, in Kansas. I, I can attest, uh, I can attest to that. I think spot and stock and anything is, is, is a challenge, which in part is, you know, what makes it, uh, is what makes it pretty fun. Um, is a lot of, I'm just, again, I'm just kind of learning here. I'm just kind of curious. So do you find that a lot of the whitetails are kind of down 
lower closer to the private because that's where you know the the ag is and i'm imagining there's not a lot of pressure right i'm just kind of anecdotally from like videos that i've watched and stuff like that because i don't know other than my friend tim who lives out there i, I don't know anybody who consistently kind of hunts whitetails in in montana personally and so i'm just always kind of always you know interested in in what those look like and so do they kind of lurk in and around the private land for the most part because that's where the consistent the consistent food is and i'm assuming the pressure isn't too bad well i wouldn't say the pressure is not bad but mm. it, it probably depends on where you are mm. um but they they do tend to focus that this is not like an exclusive thing but i would say for the most part they do spend a lot of their time in river bottoms and then coming up to ag and the, the only reason you know there are there are public opportunities you know with blm and stuff stuff like that but at the same time uh, the, you know, just most of the land is privately held along river, river bottoms. It's not the same, uh, you know, from an elk hunting standpoint out here where, where a lot of the, you know, the public lands are, are more mountainous, just a lot of the uh, river bottoms tend to be focused, um, you know, that way as well. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's just tends to be where they live. I do the food and cover. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. So did you uh, did you manage to get out anywhere else for whitetails this this year, or was it uh, Montana only this uh, for this season? Uh, I was able to go to Ohio. Uh, took took a nice uh, ten point there with a friend of mine nice. um, over there. So uh, that that was another great opportunity uh, to be able to go out there. So those were those were the, where I spent uh, my days this year. Nice. How was that? was that your first time in Ohio? Uh, no, okay. I've, I've definitely hunted there uh, a couple of times. Uh, and I did uh, hunt um, early season uh, in South Carolina. Okay. Um, that's, but, no, that's, uh, that that's home, a, right? Yeah. No. That, well, yeah. I, I was originally you know, Georgia, Alabama, South Carolina, and uh, was able to go and spend some time down there hunting uh, with a couple of friends. And uh, that was a little bit slower. It's very early season. Uh, you know, we were we were hunting um, in August. It opens as early as that there. Uh, so you know, just heat. Uh, yeah. Deer moving at the very, very uh, twilight hours. Um, so it, it was a pretty slow sit. I did uh, hunt for, I guess, two days there, and um, uh, but no opportunities. Nice. Yeah, I've never hunted that far, that far south. My dad lived in North Carolina. Um, he actually just retired and moved back to Pennsylvania. And I kind of regret that I never made it down there um, to do any hunting while he was while he was living there because I always wanted to go down for that super early opener. But the heat was always one of the reasons that uh, that kept me from doing it because I just I cannot stand hunting whitetails whenever it's ninety five degrees out. <laughs> it just doesn't it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, it's it's definitely a different take. Uh, you know, I, I consider it type two fun. Yeah, <laughs> I think is the way uh, you have to take a look at it. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. It, sure. it just pr it produces a whole unique set of uh, of different situations. Right. So now the one thing down there, you can kill like seventy deer. I'm I'm exaggerating, of course, but it's like it seems like in the south down there, it's like you can shoot as many as you you can get tags for essentially. Yeah, when I so hunting in Alabama where I. You know, when I, when I, you know, essentially started hunting there very, very young. Yeah, it used to be in the region we were having in, like, the county that we were in was a buck and a doe a day. Wow. Uh, nobody, I, you know, nobody ever would do that. But actually, I've seen a lot of these southern states now are, are starting to issue tags and limiting uh, people to a certain amount. Um, so, 
that's that's now changed over the past couple of years. Right. Yeah. I mean, it, there was a big. I don't know how much traction it actually got because Pennsylvania is a one buck state as well, and um, you know they, we've got we have some antler point restrictions and and stuff like that, and they're slightly different depending on what part of the state you're in, but there are there are general restrictions. Um, for adults, you know, kids can still kind of have fun and, you know, take, take whatever. Um, but there was some talk at one point about, you know, potentially, you know, earn a buck kind of thing or, you know, or potential, you know, two buck tags in Pennsylvania. And, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of that only because, you know, I can remember when I was a kid growing up, the, the deer population was, the numbers were pretty good, but the quality and age structure was pretty, pretty poor. Um, and just, you know, what I've been able to see in just the past, like, let's say 10 years in Pennsylvania is, is markedly different and, and better, um, you know, up and down, up and down than it was whenever I was a, a kid growing up. And I would just, I would hate to see them, you know, go, go backwards, but, you know, I'll rely on the biologists and the people that look at the data and look at the science to tell us what we, uh, what we need to do. But I'm always leery whenever I hear two buck tags, you know, I know Michigan does it, you know, um, and there's, you know, of course, some other states that do it, but I can't think of any states that have what you would consider to be uh, upper echelon quality whitetails that have any more than one one buck tag. Except, I guess Iowa does, but it's like you can get a land, you can get your regular tag, you can get a landowner tag. There's a couple, but you have to be a landowner, I think. I think that's the only way you can get multiple, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. Depending on where you want to go in Iowa, you know, it might take five points. Right. Uh, to be able to get you there. So yeah. for a non-resident, um, yeah, I think it's a different setup. Um, yeah. But with some of the QDMA um, kind of outlook, I think some of the, you know, thoughts on people's, uh, the way that they're they're approaching uh, wildlife management or specifically whitetail management has allowed the age structure of the, the age classes of the bucks maybe to get a little bit older. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just healthier the for the herd overall. You know, if you can have the right the right age structure, and you know, of course, the you know governing bodies of whatever state always typically take a beating from the residents. But I'd say by and large, like PA's done a a better job, and I, I can see that I have better deer to chase than I can ever remember in my life at this point, which is uh, a positive in in my book. So, man, so you just got back from uh, speaking of heat. You know, uh, you just got back from Florida, if uh, if I'm not mistaken, right? You were chasing some birds down there for the uh, for the early turkey season, right? Yeah, I actually uh, was able to get invited down with a good friend of mine, Mike, and uh, we went down and uh, chased some Osceolas, and uh, luckily, all of us were successful. It was, it you know, it was one of those opening mornings where it was just the ones that keep you going back. Um, and you <laughs> yeah. know, birds were talking, it was, it was very, very excited. I had, uh, so with my, you know, with the bird that I had come in, come in and take, I, it was actually a set of three, um, you know, all, all mature toms came in. Uh, we had, uh, you know, a Jake decoy set up a couple of hens, a laying hen, and they came in on a laser and, annihilated that decoy um it was it was such a show to watch uh the dominant bird came in and basically just beat him to death jumped over and then another one was up on top of him when i shot the dominant bird and uh and then the other two probably hung around for about five or six minutes we even started taking photos and we could still see them about 60 yards just 
milling about, but they were not going to leave. We, there was no doubt that we could have tripled if we wanted to. So right. it was it was just a really exciting morning. Yeah, man. I mean, you sent me some videos of, of what you guys had going on, and those birds were – they were fired up looking for a fight. And that certainly – I mean, was the weather – I mean, was it was it like a nice, cool kind of hunt for from, you know, for Florida standards like to, you know, like I guess what was the, what was the weather like? Because, I mean, if it's too cold in Florida, a lot of times they'll clam up. I've never hunted Florida, but at least it's what I've heard from my buddies who have gone down and have hunted. It's like if it gets too cold there that you can have some you can have some issues. So what was the how was the weather? The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Well, the weather when we when I first got there was in the 90s, and they said it was the first hot spell. But and I want to preface this: I am not a Florida turkey hunting expert. Um, you know this, but uh, what they were explaining, uh, you know, when I was down there from the people that are you know really local, you know that hot patch they came through, and then this year it just happened to be like my buddy he describes it as a, a, a six day window where where things just get really really good and and it can be extremely challenging uh if if that window isn't timed right so he the the year prior they they had a terrible um turkey season and and it happened early uh everything happened prior to the season opening because they're they're you know in the northern district Mm -hmm. and so it, it was completely dead last year and then this year, the timing of the weather and when when the rain had just hit, uh, because you're coming off the dry season in mm-hmm. starting to go into the wet season, and that is you know depending on when those rains come can really make a difference. Right. So yeah. everything was greened up, and they said it normally is brown. Right. Yeah. Because a buddy of mine was down there last year, and he said exactly what you just kind of mentioned. It was just. I mean, he ended up killing one. I think it was actually on the last day that he was there, and I want to say he was there for like five, six days, seven days, something like, like about a week. And, uh, and he said it was just awful. Like pretty much, you know, you would hear a bird here and there and you would try to go set up on it and it would either no show you or just stop talking or whatever the case was. And it was, you know, he's hunted Florida quite a bit too. So he, it was kind of odd cause he was like, he always looks forward to Florida because it's kind of what you're describing is usually, I think what he's usually kind of been used to seeing where it's just kind of bananas. You get a lot of action, a lot of fun, a lot of talking, you know, and uh, last year he just didn't have have uh, have any of that. Well, that's cool, man. That you guys had had a good setup. Was your buddy shooting? Uh, so I I knew which one was your video when you sent it to me because I could see the smoke fly. Um, yep. But your was your buddy hunting with a bow? Yeah. So actually, uh, both Mike and his wife Jen they both hunted with uh, bows. So after I shot my bird, then uh, we were focused on getting Jen hers. Um, we we actually found a tom that was so fired up driving back that we 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 left you know gave him a a few hours after came back set up a blind for her uh and um and then he and i called that uh tom in for her and it was really great because that one you know was like the round the uh the bend of a hammock that we were hunting off of Hmm. and and we couldn't pull the bird for quite a while um he would 
you know, talk to us. Um, but he just wouldn't commit to coming over. He had the spot where he was strutting and he was strutting the exact same spot where he had left hmm. him like three hours earlier and uh, just driving by. And so what we started doing is we started just doing a, a double purr. So we, we just were, you know, just sounded like a whole fighting mess. And he turned and came on a rope uh, <laughs> and, and then came in from the blind and she was able to get uh, to be able to shoot him. And then the next day, you know, we went out and and it was one of those slow days. We did have a great, great morning uh, where I believe we would have been able to take one, but we actually called in a whole group of coyotes Jeez. and they just, I mean, they we could hear them putting and shutting up almost instantly. And I said, there are coyotes in this area. And then the next thing we, we saw was just a really dark coyote came through and then he looped around. It was either him or another one and actually came back and started barking at us. <laughs> so we actually had to get up and push him off, but things were done after that. Um, yeah. But uh, went back to the same area, set up, kind of moved because we knew where the birds were down in a, like a deep swamp um, and were able to pull a couple of birds and uh, get a, you know, uh, and we actually, the way we called in mics is we got the hen mad and mm. she came in first and he came following her. And so Mike was able to take that one. But even after that, we had the Jake patrol. I think we had about 10 Jakes come through that we just watched. And then we even uh, had another uh, set of two mature birds come in uh, and, and get into the, in front of us that we were just giving his bird to make sure it had enough time uh, to expire before we went in there and didn't want to push it into the deep swamp. So uh, we just gave it time and watched the show for another hour or two after that and just called in more birds in the area just to watch them. Nice. Yeah, man, that's, that's quite a trip, man. That'll, that'll get you, that'll get you fired up. So are you, are any more turkey hunts in the, for the season? I mean, I'm, I'm guessing Montana at minimum. Yes, absolutely. I've got a, um, going to be heading to get a Eastern and Georgia with Dr. Carl Miller, uh, oh, nice. uh, going to be hunting with him. So I'll get an Eastern, uh, hopefully if knock, knock on wood, can get an Eastern, uh, and, um, then, and I will be doing archery for that one. Um, and then here planning on, uh, taking a Merriam if I can get that. Uh, and then maybe, maybe if, if things work out that way, maybe I'll try and add a Rio into the mix, but, uh, nice. uh that would be, that'd be nice to get the slam all in one year. Yeah, that would be, man. That's, uh, have you ever done the slam before or is this might be the first, the Not- first attempt? Yeah, so I just completed the multi-year slam uh, okay. by getting the Aussie because I had never done that. But the uh, uh, I have not done it in a single year, so uh, nice. with, it, it seems like it might be a possibility this year. So perhaps, nice. perhaps I go after it. Nice man. Well, I hope uh, I hope that you do, man. That would be. Uh, we'll have you back on and talk about the the one year slam. How's that? It would be good if if I do decide to go for the Rio, then then perhaps I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah, man. So my turkey hunting is is probably is not nearly as adventurous as yours. Um, I'm more of just a PA kind of turkey guy, but I am excited for this uh, for this season just because you know, I think you and I were, we were texting the other day, and I'd, I'd mentioned there was this mountain area that I'd been scouting for deer and kind of hunting there. Got some really good prospects for deer um, that are there, um, and the snow is, well, it's receded finally, but it's always kind of a challenge to get up there to, to scout because it, it because it's in a little bit of ele- elevation and it just, it, it holds snow for longer. And it typically is just a little bit colder than it is where I live. It's two hours, you know, two and a half hours north of me. And, uh, so 
So I'm actually going to go hunt turkeys there this year and hunt some, some mountain birds, which will be kind of fun to be able to kind of chase them across the mountain here in Pennsylvania. You can hunt the first, I think it's the first two weeks. You can only hunt till noon. Um, and then you got to stop. And so basically I'll be able to hunt till noon, you know, on the opener on Saturday, scout the second half of the day, you know, Sunday, we can't hunt in PA. We're working on that, but we're not there yet. And uh, so I'll hunt or I'll scout all day Sunday and then I'll hunt Monday morning, scout the afternoon, hunt Tuesday morning, and then, and then drive back home. So I'll take a couple of days off, pack up my little hunting, my little hunting trailer that I have off, off grid, uh, bug out trailer that I have and uh, live in that for a couple of days. And, and chase turkeys and uh, and and scout for whitetail. That's that's pretty much my plan for uh, for turkeys. But uh, not nearly as adventurous as yours. But uh, but I'll uh, I'll enjoy being outdoors regardless. Well, I mean, I have a great respect for hunting in that area too. It's not easy. Um, I would say for turkeys. So uh, you know, anyone that takes one in in your region, um, especially with all the the public land up there, that's that's a really cool bird to to be able to put. Um, you know. Yeah. in your in whoever so that's that's awesome yeah it'll be fun man i'm looking i'm looking forward to it you know because a lot of the stuff is just around me a lot of times what i do um you know we have a family farm and i used to hunt deer back there pretty frequently but i haven't been back there in years and we have a hunting camp and stuff like that and i hadn't you know i hadn't gone back in years to hunt deer and so what i started doing was just kind of going back and hanging out with the guys there you know it's it's the guy who got me into archery hunting he's kind of been my archery mentor um, and my father-in-law and a bunch of his buddies and just, you know, a bunch of old timers, as I refer to them, they love that. Um, and, uh, so I usually try to go back for Turkey season, you know, to the family farm and just, you know, hang out with them, play cards, drink some beers. And, you know, if I get up early enough in the morning to chase birds, then great. If not, you know, it's more of just kind of spending some time with those guys. So this will be the first time in like a little while that I've actually been excited about getting out to actually like Turkey hunt to actually like, I'm, have an objective. I'm going to go try to kill a bird. You usually it's uh drink some beers and hang out with the, uh, the old timers and, uh, and play cards. But, uh, this year it'll be chasing some mountain birds. So I'm looking forward to that. And the added bonus of trying to figure some stuff out for, for deer season doesn't hurt either. That, I, that's probably my biggest challenge between shed hunting and Turkey hunting. Anytime I try to do either of them, it ultimately turns into a deer scout <laughs> for me. Yeah. Well, it's a good time of year to just go ahead and look at trails. And uh, yeah. like you said, if you get out there early enough of the snow there, you can um, even find things even better. So from a deer standpoint. Yeah, exactly. So with that, what I'm super stoked about, because truth be told, you know, usually whenever I would head out to, to turkey hunt, you know, I'd have like calls in my pockets and like not sure where anything is at whenever I'd sit down to call. It's like, well, what pocket did I put this in? Oh man, my striker fell out of my pocket back in this field or whatever. Like I've had that happen to me so many times and I'm super stoked that you guys have developed the line of turkey gear that you guys have developed, particularly the the vest, man, because I was just playing around with it, you know, over this past weekend, kind of checking it out, putting my gear in it and literally sitting in my basement wearing it, which seemed really odd to my wife. And like everything else you guys have made, you know, for whitetails and, you know, Western hunting, extremely well thought out. It's everything that you need and nothing that you don't and ridiculously streamlined, especially for someone who's going to be, you know, running across, you know, the mountain, mountainous terrain, like I'm going to, uh, going to be chasing mountain birds. It, it's not prohibitive. It's not bulky. It has a compartment for everything that you need. Um, and it's just, it just, you know, really, really well thought out, like, like all the gear that you guys make. So take me, I guess, back to like, what was the genesis of, of this thing? Cause you know, you guys obviously are well known for all your whitetail stuff, your Western stuff, your waterfowl stuff. 
what was the genesis for jumping, you know, kind of into the, into the turkey realm? And the subalpine stuff is great for, for turkey hunting. Um, you know, I've always worn that during that, that time of year. Um, so there was always that kind of tie-in, but this scene, this is like a very specific piece kind of going into a new, a new category. So what was, what was the genesis behind that? Yeah. So it's, it's really built for the, the mobile hunter and, and you're exactly right with the viewpoint we take, you know, with like Western big game hunting or, or, you know, even like mountain whitetails or anything along those lines, you, you taking more of a kind of a, a the way you might attack a pack uh and just and putting that into the vest concept so the actual chassis that the vest is built off of is really built off a very similar to a pack structure structure uh it's not built with the kitchen sink so you know you can find a lot of vests with the kitchen sink i almost wound up you know when i used those i almost would lose everything in it because i had too much and, and then also it was always sagging or dragging on my shoulders, things like that. So the, the pack setup is really built around that. It has like a, you know, the, the pack structure is built a lot like our whitetail packs where it allows uh, flow. Uh, but then if you're leaning against a tree, which we often wind up doing, uh, that, that uh, it has some padding back there for that as well. Uh, and then the seat uh, tucks up. Uh, and it's in a, a unique, if you don't know how to use it, it's not going to be super intuitive, but like there's some videos on our website where you can clearly see Jim walking you through how to deploy the seat and pull it up, but it sits really, uh, right against your upper or like the upper part of your, your rear end or your lower back. And so it's not flopping around like a lot of seats that I've had and, and, and used, they either come you know, with just the magnet on the back, mm -hmm. they'll come undone. Right. right and then yeah. they're plop, 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 plop on your legs. This one, even when it's fully deployed, won't do that. And then when you pull it up, does not uh, get in the way. So, it, you know, uh, it, it's just like a great running gun style setup. Um, like you said, a magnetic pulk, like your pot calls uh, go inside of there, come in and out with your left hand. Yep. You know, so if you, if you think about how more most people are using, right, they're holding their striker with their right hand, uh, pulling things out, uh, holding the pot call with their left hand, um, you know, their friction calls that way. So it, we, we tried to think about even which hand, because what we didn't want you to do, and, and Jim was the head designer on this, but, you know, luckily being field test, like we were talking through it and just popping, popping out. So you're only using the same hand. There's, yeah. You don't have to trade which side you're moving your, your uh, pot call to right? or you use it striker in your right pot call in your left. Yeah, no, it's just super well thought out, man. Like <clears throat> some of my favorite stuff, honestly, you know, the seat one was awesome. Like, and, and you're right. It, it, it did take me just like a, a minute to figure it out. And I did exactly what you said. I went to the website and just watched the, the video on it. And once you kind of see how it's used, you're like, Oh, okay, that's, that's pretty slick, you know, and it does completely stay out of the way. The two things I appreciate, is one, I'm not a, I'm not a super tall guy. Like I'm like five, nine on a good day. Um, and you know, a lot of times when I get packs or vests or whatever, they don't always fit my torso correctly. And this is almost kind of like a Western pack to a degree, like a frame pack where you can actually change the length of the shoulder straps based on your size. So there's like a small, there's a medium, there's a large kind of setting to change the straps and where the, the pack itself is actually going to sit on you which is awesome because a lot of times when I get something, it, it never fits quite right. And this, the adjustability is, is killer in it. And the other thing that I really like, and this is really more of like a, 
of this year things I really probably would have never thought about it much before, but doing the mountain thing this year and knowing that I'm going to be scouting and hunting, you know, full days, you know, it's always a pain to try to take when I'm turkey hunting. Cause it's like, I don't want to take a big pack, you know, but I do need to carry water if I'm going to be doing this, this mountain thing and stuff like that. And the fact that I can just slide a bladder right into this thing and I'm, and I'm good to go. It's one less thing that's flopping around on my hip. You know, one less thing I have to worry about. It was just super, was super slick and super cool. And then just like the rain pocket and stuff too. Cause it has, it actually has way more space than you would think at first glance if you need it, but it all kind of compresses down to be super small and tight. If you're, if you're a minimalist and taking next to nothing with you. Yeah. Nothing's going to be flopping, especially if you start to run. Right. Yeah. yeah. A lot of the times too, uh, my, uh, one of my favorite tactics is just early in the morning calling till you can hear them on the roost, trying to close the gap mm-hmm. right before they come down and set up. And, and so, uh, you know, it's just a really good setup for that. And if you have to do some belly crawling, uh, things like that, everything, uh, you know, is going to fit tight to you. So, yeah. and the water bladder thing too, I, I, I've never, a lot of guys just, you know, will take like a, a little, uh, I guess, uh, you know, disposable water bottle and, and carry that with them. But, you know, I, I, I find running the, the water bladder once you start using that and start thinking that way, oh yeah, this is way more convenient. Oh, I don't yeah. even have to open up a crinkly bottle or anything like that. Just reach over, take the tube drink it and then keep moving. So yeah, exactly. That, I mean, I was super stoked when I saw that cause that was the first thing I thought of. I was like, man, this is perfect. I was like, I don't have to worry about taking a bottle of water with me, where I'm going to stow it, anything like that. The other thing I was jazzed about was like, typically I'm not a mouth caller. Like I'm the, I'm the world's worst, uh, mouth caller. So I, I usually just use a pot or, you know, mm-hmm. or, or a box. And I haven't used a box in a while. Um, just because the only box I have is literally from my great grandfather. It's a Lynch's um, and it's, I want to say, I actually have it in my hand here because I have the vest here. It was actually made in 1958 Ooh. and it's actually a, like, it's slightly a collector. I like actually, I mean, it's not worth like thousands of dollars or anything like that, but it's worth like a couple hundred bucks or whatever, or something like that. That's, it's actually a collect, uh, collectible because it's one of the that first one's priceless in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, no, it's totally, some... totally priceless. Um, and, uh, and I've never used it and taken it turkey hunting with me because I was always afraid that I was going to drop it, break it or something like that. Cause I never had a, a good place to kind of stow it. Um, cause again, I never wore any other turkey vest cause they just were always big bulky and I just didn't like them. Um, and so I never took this thing out with me. And so this year, because it has a slick, a, uh, slick box call pocket, I'm actually going to be able to take my grandfather's lint or my great grandfather's Lynch, uh, turkey call out with me this year. So I'm stoked on that. Yeah, that'd be awesome if we were to take one. And yes, it does have like a Gore-Tex covering. So, and then the inside too is you'll you'll see that that very thick foam with like a 3D mesh on it. Yeah, uh, that's really built uh, to um, hold your box in place. So it's not gonna rat. It's not gonna move. So a lot of times, you know, I've had some where when you walk, you're and you're 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 you yeah. you use the rubber band to hold it in place or whatever. Yep, that thing just it slides in. Uh, you know, and, and then won't make a peep when you're, when you're moving. So that's, yeah. it's a, it's a great setup for that. Yeah. So I'm pretty jazzed to be able to actually take that this year out into the, out into the woods with me. And then of course, safety first, I always like to say safety first, but actually talk about it last <laughs> is the, uh, you guys have some fluorescent, uh, flags that you can hang out the back, which I think is, especially in a state like PA man, with as much pressure as we have, um, especially some of the pieces around me that are just kind of small, man, it's, uh, 
to me, this was like a feature that I was glad you guys didn't overlook um, just because of like the tight quarters a lot of times and some of these small pieces of public around me that you're hunting in. Um, having something you can just kind of throw on your back real quick while you're moving from one spot to the next, super awesome. Yeah, I think that's great. And a lot of times what you're throwing over your shoulder on the way out is the bird. So yeah. having the orange back by the bird uh, definitely helps. Um, so Exactly. And so not to be outdone by the pack, but the pack is the pack is killer, man. And I was super stoked whenever I got a chance to check it out. But you guys also, well, before I jump into the next thing, when I saw this immediately, you know me, I'm a whitetail guy. So I immediately have whitetails on the brain. I immediately saw that and I was like, dude, this is a, almost a perfect pack to hunt early season whitetails with, especially if I might have to sit or hunt from the ground or something like that. If I'm going to run out real quick after work and only be able to get like an hour hunt in and I'm not going to climb anything, man, this, I would throw this, I would throw this pack on and just, and, and run out. I got a bladder. I got something to drink. Good to go. Got a seat. Like it's the, and it's lightweight. Like it's, it would almost be the perfect, like running gun, like whitetail pack, especially for early season. Well, that's a good dual purpose. That's right. That's right. Speaking of whitetails, you know, uh, not to be, not to be outdone. I know you guys had like, so the Equinox kind of, you know, whitetail early season system that you guys, that you guys had previously. Do you have an evolution of this now? That's part of this Turkey gear that you guys are, have, have put out. It's the Equinox guard, right? No, I'm, I got the name right. Correct. That is correct. Yeah. So this one, this one for me, is was actually a really big personal passion and i know that you and probably anybody that's listening will be able to relate to this so everyone that i know either has had or knows somebody or has a family member that has had a tick-borne illness mm -hmm. like there it is and especially if you're in the northeast lyme disease is rampant there yeah. and those those you know that's not stuff that we saw uh you know 20 years ago. Um, and I worked with Dr. Carla Miller who ran the UGA deer lab, but I, you know, I didn't know this for a number of years, but his, his early background is in entomology. Mm. So, uh, so, you know, and, and being able to work with him on this, um, it, you know, just understanding, uh, how they work and how they've grown, uh, in, in, uh, you know, in prevalence across the country, and they're discovering now more diseases. So there's, you know, uh, about 16 recognized, uh, you know, tick-borne illnesses out there. Uh, some, you know, that our virus can transmit to you extremely quickly. Where, you know, Lyme disease, if they camp out on you for 24 hours or, or more, then, then you run in a higher risk. But, I mean, there, there's all sorts of different things from Lyme disease to Rocky Mountain spotted fever to, you know, the deer tick virus to like the, the alpha gal syndrome where you mm -hmm. can't eat red meat yep. because of the glucose molecule molecule. Um, so, you know, those, those are things that, that I know a lot of hunters are going to face more and more. And my own daughter has had Lyme disease, mm. um, or we think star eye, it may have been since we were in the South. Um, but it's very, very similar. Uh, and then, um, you know, Dr. Carl's had two separate tick-borne illnesses. I've got, you know, friends with family members. And so that was really something I wanted to involve. So I can tell you by using the Equinox Guard system, since I started using it three years ago, I've had zero ticks. Wow. And I would normally pluck uh, three to five to six off of me a year. Yeah. And pull off 
you know, 15 or more off, off my pants or, or, you know, crawling on me. But, you know, usually I would get one buried in me a couple every year. Yeah. Uh, and, and do so I, you know, th- the way that it works is we use both mechanical and chemical means. Mm-hmm. So on the pants, for example, there's some in, internal leg gaiters that you basically put on the pants. You'll take your socks and you'll roll them over the top of the internal uh, leg gaiters okay, and put that hem down. Yeah, whenever I was trying, whenever I was trying them on and I was putting them on, I, I I noticed that right away and I was like, I was I made a point to write it down. I was like, I need to ask him what these what these are for inside the pants. But now that totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's like one mechanical beat that we use so that's a is a special knit which i'll go into later on that we use for that but that goes in there extremely lightweight you can't fill it but that's the mechanical means so now if you have a tick a lot of times they'll come up on uh crawl up under the hem of your pant right Mm -hmm. and uh they're going to run into that internal leg gator and then this is where the permethrin base comes in so we use insect shield and this isn't just like a spray on application this is infused for the life of the garment. So we, it's a very, very high temperature process. But we take the actual completed pant, we put it through the insect shield process, and then that actually infuses permethrin into the garment uh, for, you know, 75 more washes. You know, it has still the efficacy rate is very, very, uh, very good. And and we use like a – there's a drop-away test. So basically you measure – you know, how long it takes for tick to drop off mm. or, or off of, off of the, the product. So they'll hang that up, they fall down. And that's the idea is the mechanical prevents them from ever contacting your skin. By the time the permethrin takes effect, uh, then they'll drop away and you're not bringing them home into your laundry hamper, into your home, uh, and potentially bring it home to one of your family members. Right. Yeah. No, that's awesome, man. That it was, and I'm the same way as you, a couple year I pull off myself and usually like one gets bad enough, um, that, you know, leaves a, a mark <laughs> essentially for the, for a year. And I've had them like where I've had them, you know, a mark or a bump for like a year, you know? And so, you know, they're, they're nasty. Of course, all the, all the problems with them that you, that you mentioned beyond just kind of you know, being sucky, pulling them off, pull them off of you. You mentioned knit when we were talking about those leg gaiters, what, cause oh, I'm, I'm feeling this and it feels like the shirt, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, in, I'm trying to describe maybe for the people who are listening, like it would feel similar to like, uh, not dis completely dissimilar to what the, um, like the, the very, very lightweight, like sub Alpine, uh, base layer is. It, it yep, feels the core lightweight. Yeah. Yeah. The core lightweight. It feels similar, similar to that. But talk to me about what, you know, how this was made. Cause I know you guys for all of this, I believe there was a specific kind of machine that you guys had to find to even be able to do this because there's not just like the tick guard, but you're also able to kind of combat the, you know, chiggers and mosquitoes and, and things that are, you know, going to want to bite you. And anyone who's hunted a swamp in Turkey season or hunted, you know, in early whitetail season, you can put on whatever thin long sleeve thing you want to put on and you're still going to get ate up by, by mosquitoes. But you guys found like some machine that was able to knit a certain way. If I'm, if I was reading the information, right. That was able to kind of combat that. Right. Correct. So, um, so when I look at the pan, I think about ticks and chiggers, right. Ticks yep. from a health standpoint, chiggers from a just the world's Misery. worst annoyance <laughs> in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, you know, those, that's really what the pants about. Um, but then the hoodie 
was developed with the, you're correct. It's an extremely high gauge knit machine. Uh, it's, it's not just like a regular, uh, uh, type of knit that we're using. So you're going to find it very lightweight. It's a combination of using the high gauge niche and, and proper stretch. And then the way that we test that is we partnered with a third party lab. And what we did is we developed a blood membrane test, but basically we take a, a hid, a, a heated blood and put it in like, uh, uh, just like a membrane that, uh, uh, allows us to heat it up to, you know, like, um, human temperature. And essentially then we put, uh, different types of textiles over that. We release 20 female eighties, Egypti mosquitoes into a cage. So they're all females because only the females are feeding on. Hmm. So, uh, so we'll, we'll release those into a cage. We'll leave them in for 20 minutes. And then what we do is we take that cage out and we put it in a freezer for a little bit that knocks them down. And then it's just as simple as laying them out and squishing them. If they turn red, they fed. If they didn't, they're just a black squish. Mm -hmm. And so you can measure actually the feeding rate Mm -hmm. that the different textiles. So we'll use a control textile that they uh, allow uh, them to feed through. And then we can test like different types of instructions to figure out which ones would reduce the feeding rate. And it's not something that we're trying to get to 100% because what, what we're doing is trying to reduce the number and balance the difference. There's a couple of things you can do to prevent mosquitoes, right? You could wear a big, thick 3D mesh that you've seen suits, right? Yep. Those are uncomfortable. They're bulky. You have a very difficult time shooting a bow at, with, um, you know, all those different types of things. Yep. You can use uh, DEET. Uh, well, we know there's problems with DEET. That's why we try and minimize it, right? Right. Because it's known to cause cancer. Uh, you can use Thermosel, uh, which is a great, great product for controlling mosquitoes, but it does have scent. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, you can wear double layers of some certain things, but, you know, who wants to wear double layers when it's 85, 90 yeah, degrees out? Exactly. So those are all things that you can do. This thing feels extremely lightweight and really reduces the number of bites that you'll take. So, for example, I use that on a spring bear hunt with my wife. We went in with that lightweight, core lightweight hoodie that you were talking about. I probably took 50 different bites in my back. It was so bad that after like 30, 40 minutes, we're like, we're out. Right. We came back to the same spot using the prototypes that we had and uh, took no bites uh, this past weekend I was wearing it in Florida, uh, and those mosquitoes down there are like pterodactyls. Oh yeah. They're, uh, no, they're they, no joke, man. I lived in Florida for like 10 years. Like you get carried, oh, away, you get carried away by one of those. Yeah. And the sound like before light and they all just typically are feeding like in that little bit before the sun comes up. And I remember I was sitting there. So Mike's wife, Jim was wearing core lightweight hoodie. I was wearing those and she, she, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm just wondering how many bites have you taken since we've been sitting here for 15 minutes? She was like, I don't know, 15, 20 in my back. It's, uh, <laughs> I didn't have any. And then like throughout the hunt, you know, I had maybe a few, I felt through like maybe two or three bites in my back shoulder, um, mm-hmm. where I know I would have just had oh. one solid welt across my back. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really designed to reduce the number of bites. And then it's also treated with insect shield. So what we're just trying to do is I want people to be comfortable while wearing it. So they'll actually wear it mm-hmm. and then, uh, allow them to, you know, just reduce the chance of, of taking as many, uh, mosquito bites. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, killer garment, dude. And again, like my brain immediately like 
awesome for turkey hunting because you know obviously you have warm you know warm weather especially here in pennsylvania because our season comes in you know uh end of end of april ish so you're you're typically hunting you know may for the most part um so you definitely are having warmer warmer weather but then immediately my mind went again to like dual purpose right because you know people you know uh when they're when they're spending money or whatever it's like how can you amortize that those dollars across other use cases and it's like to me if you hunt any warm weather for whitetails that is buggy and hot this is like the go the go-to thing that was immediately what i thought of because i hunt a lot of especially early season i hunt a lot of, around a lot of swamps um because a lot of people don't want to hunt in those areas when it's hot because it's shitty <laughs> it is buggy it is mosquitoey and it's and it's miserable um but that's you know kind of why i go there because it keeps people keeps people away um, but now with this man, it's like, you know, I, I feel like I'll, I'll be much more comfortable and willing to go out and not just deal with the heat, but also deal with the bugs and come back a little, a little happier and a little less, uh, and keep more of my blood in my body, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, there's, there's a glove that goes on to the same textile on the back of the hand, because that's yep. where typically you take those bites and, and we do the, the, any, any, it, really any warm weather pursuit that you're going to run into mosquitoes. It could be spring bear, it could be hog hunting, it, turkey hunting, deer hunting, moose hunting, you know, all of those different things. But anywhere there's going to be a lot of bugs, I, I definitely recommend people do it. And and I just also want to point out, like, we built the tail of the hoodie extremely long for I a noticed reason. that, actually. I was going to ask tuck you it, because, yeah. Tuck it in. Okay. Tuck it in. So one of the best things you can do is remember you want to you want to think of all the different mechanical means that you're doing to keep them from contacting your skin. So a tick lands on your leg, crawls up, and you have your shirt untucked. With that with that um, what's in in the garment through the insect shield, that tick is eventually going to fall off. That tick would have to literally crawl up, come in by your neckline, come down you know, when you're wearing this the right way. Yeah. So all of those things enacted together, it allows the permethrin to do its work. And you don't this, and because it's in there, a lot of people will ask me like, Oh, do I have to retreat? You know, you can pour permethrin in your washer or, or treat it that way, or you can spray it on. The answer is no, you don't have to retreat. Right. There's no, and it, it is like, this is like the lowest you can put it on a baby onesie. Yeah. Um, the way that it's done. So there's a couple of different things, uh, in order to, to give it, uh, the, the lowest level, uh, that the EPA allows for, for permethrin. So it's even a lower level level than like a spray on permethrin or a retreatment just because it's actually requires no reapplication and is actually built into the fibers. At right. that point. Yeah. And it's super cool. Cause my buddy, it was actually one of the old timers, a guy who got me into to bow hunting. He's, he's actually a, a, an awesome turkey hunter. Dude, dude kills turkeys. Like it's no, nobody's business. And, uh, I was texting with him the other night and, uh, you know, I'd mentioned like, yeah, yeah. I was like, I'm checking out the new, the Equinox guard stuff and told him what it was, what it was about. And he's had Lyme's disease. Um, he got actually pretty sick from it. Um, and, uh, so he's always kind of nervous about it. And he, and I kind of told him what the garment was and he was like, really, he's like, how long does it last? And I was like, and he's in his sixties now. And it's kind of, this is maybe kind of morbid, but I said, I was like, dude, I'll be putting you in a box in this thing. I was like, don't worry about <laughs> it. Was, you know, but it, it, that's kind of a morbid way to say, man, it's like 70 wash cycles. It's like, and I typically wash my gear at the beginning of the season. And then at the end of the season, unless it gets, unless it gets bloody or, or extremely like muddy or something like that. And so, I mean, you're looking at, 
you know, it, you'll you'll outgrow it <laughs> width wise before you will have to replace it because it ran out of juice. Put it that way. Yeah, and they and that's just the rating that they use to re remeasure the efficacy. And you know, to encourage anybody to go look at Insect Shield's website, they have some great information on the testing that they do um, on there. So uh, you know, and that's the way I look at this too. Is would you rather invest in this or would you rather like in like invest in having to deal with like, re- like all the debilitating type of things that can happen if you don't catch Lyme disease very early, right? right. Yeah. There are people that are dealing with this for years. And so, you know, now if it's warm and I know I'm going in a buggy environment, I will wear it yeah. every single time. Yeah. It's just not worth it for me. And, and it's comfortable wearing it too. So yeah. that that's a big part of it. Exactly. Man, I always have to ask you this, and you can deny to to answer if, if if you'd like to. But you guys are always coming up with with super cool stuff. Is there anything that you have on the horizon that you can? And you don't have to speak in specific terms, but is uh, anything anything cool that you're working on right now? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm always working on new things. So, uh, uh, I mean, every trip that I'm taking, I'm I'm using new products. So we all have some uh, very uh, cool stuff coming out this, this summer that you'll see just start to roll out. I uh, can't say what it is cause yep. it is embargoed. Right. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, we, 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 all, we will be releasing more stuff. And, and like I said, I'm, I'm not even uh, done working on the stuff we just talked about today. So we'll, we'll constantly figure out how to make it better. You, you're always learning as you go and people using stuff will give you feedback and you're like, Oh yeah, we can make that a little bit better. So right. constant improvement. Nice. Awesome, man. Well, job well done, man. Like usual, um, you guys always knock it out of the park with, you know, with new gear and thinking about, you know, putting the hunter at the center of, of, of the experience and, and, and creating new garments, man. So definitely, definitely appreciate that. Appreciate you coming on, man. Before I let you jump off here, let people know where they can find out, you know, more about, uh, more about the gear and, and then keep an eye out for anything that's happening, uh, in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, gear.com. If you just go there, you'll, you'll see that, uh, you know, if you're interested in learning more about the Equinox card, uh, got a great, uh, making of video. So if you go to sickagear.com slash Equinox card, uh, it'll take you right there. Um, and, uh, you, you can, you can take a look at that or you'll probably find the information on the vest and, and Jim's got a great video, uh, taking you through. So you get the most, uh, out of the vest if you do invest in that. Yeah. And I would recommend signing up for the, uh, the newsletter as well, just to kind of, if you're, if you're interested to stay apprised, you know, when new things drop to be, to be first in line. So Chris, I appreciate you coming on brother. It's always good catching up with you, man. Uh, good luck in, uh, chasing that slam this year. I'll keep an eye on what you're, uh, what you're up to. And I'll let you know how the, uh, how the mountain birds shake out. Absolutely. I can't wait to hear about it. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. If you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a stuff there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout-out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Spartan Forge, Exodus, and Skull Brew Coffee Company. And until next time, we'll see y'all.
want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Tune in to West Marine's Life on the Water, presented by Costa Custom Boats, every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, T-shirts, long-sleeve T-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.